0: Kia and welcome to Talking Performance. I'm your host, Jay Carter, and in this podcast I aim to connect with people to chat about performance and what it means to them in an effort to share some gold with our community. I aim to have guests on from various parts of the performance world, such as athletes, coaches and business leaders, ordinary people who do extraordinary things. These sessions take place live on Facebook on the group page Talking Performance at 8pm New Zealand time if you'd like to watch the show live. If you enjoy the podcast, it'd be great if you could share it with your friends and even leave us a review. All right. It looks like we are live. Thanks. uh, Thanks, firstly, to Andy Wright for jacking this up, getting us going live with our new technology. Thanks, Andy. Uh, Tonight, very excited to have Gail Broughton and Corey Sweeney joining me. Gail, uh, Gail, the list is too long, actually, to name what you are, so we'll say the most most recently olympic gold medalist yeah. and uh Corey sweeney uh part of the coaching team that made that magic happen in in tokyo so gail if we start with you i'll get you to just uh give us a little rundown mate give us a little introduction tell us a bit about yourself <laughs> where you're from and rip into it
1: yeah thanks jay thanks for having me team um thanks to everyone watching uh my name is gail broaden uh proudly born from the almighty Taranaki region. Um God, twenty-five years of age and very successful. <laughs> um in the, my season with rugby. Yeah, like you say, G. Um God, can't name a. oh I can name a few pinnacle events. Um obviously the 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 big bad one right here is Nice, the, the nice little gold here, fam. Yeah. Um, it's How pretty good. heavy. Just letting you know, it it is it is pretty heavy, and it is real gold. I did my research on Google.
0: Yeah, so, nice.
1: So that's very good. But yeah, that's that's a bit about me.
0: Very cool. And um, yeah, that's wicked, eh? that. <laughs> it's heavy. It's oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Oh, Corey, rip in.
2: Yeah, I was going to get my medal too, but I'm measuring the next year a lot more uh, thanks for having me on Jay, um, man I've been watching your podcast for the last 12 months and uh, there's been some amazing learnings that I've taken out of the podcast, so um, yeah awesome awesome to be on and great to to be on with, with G as well, which first time I've seen you since MIQ, so uh, nice to see your face even though we're not uh, up close, but um, yeah so I'm originally from Rotorua, um, I, I grew up in Rotorua and spent a lot of my time, uh, all my school life there and um, and uh, spent a lot of time playing, playing all sports, rugby in particular, but I was probably one of those uh, real try-hard rugby players that didn't quite make it. Uh, and so I had to um, find an alternative route to kind of stay in the game and it wasn't good enough just to kind of keep training in the gym and I just probably was never going to quite get there. So um, I spent a bit of time uh, at university as a uh, trying to be a PE teacher uh, and then my kind of journey took me overseas and, um, and back into New Zealand at, uh, at the North Harbour Rugby Union, which I spent five years five years there learning my trade. Uh, coached a few amateur teams along the way and then stepped into um, the assistant coach role uh, five years ago uh, when, when Bunce took me on as assistant coach. And I um, and, uh, haven't looked back since and we've had a, an amazing five years both with uh, our playing group management group, um, and uh, and Bunce and I uh, were school buddies as well, so we've kind of grown up together. So to be able to kind of share that experience with him over the last five years has has been a real special time as well. So um, amazing, you know, kind of finish the cycle uh, not so long ago with with a gold medal with this amazing group of people. So um, it's certainly a a period of my life which I look back on massively fondly and very proud, proud of what we've achieved.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, did, so you went to school with uh, Alan Bunting. Uh, I used to play cricket against him, mate. I'm the same age and um, far out. He was he was the fastest bowler in New Zealand and he used to just terrorise the shit out of us. It was always, you'd look around when you're playing Rotorua or either boys high or Rotorua um, rep team and just hope that he was sick that day. Uh, and he, us- he wasn't usually, so that was a shame. <laughs> I always used to keep.
2: I was the keeper. Uh, needless to say, the biggest scorer on the score sheet were the boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was proper quick, though, eh? He probably still is. Yeah, yeah. He's... I still pull
2: the arm over, too. He's,
0: yeah, yeah, I bet he can. <laughs> um, right, so, Gail, I just want to start with you. You've been, I think you said before, or if not, you did tell me yesterday, you're 25 years old. Um, but you've been through some years, eh, with this team. I think eight years or so um with the team i'd love you to take us back to the journey and how it started for you
1: yeah wow god when you say that it makes me feel super old so um (laughs) (laughs) i don't feel too young when when you put it in that way but um yeah started god a a young 16 17 year old with um no ears um (laughs) still don't have any ears but um Koro, koro, koro knows that, um, yeah, but started 16, 17-year-old back in, well, I can't even remember how long ago that is, um, and, you know, wasn't doing much with my life. I, I think, I'm pretty sure I had just been expelled from school, so I, I really was doing nothing with my life, and um, obviously, the Go For Gold campaign back then, um uh, ex-coach Sean Horan and Bunce at the time were kind of traveling around the whole of New Zealand finding some some amazing talent. Um and yeah, I remember not wanting to go to that go to that trial and my nan ended up paying me like twenty bucks. Um to just to go to that trial and obviously back then twenty bucks was twenty bucks is a lot to a sixteen year old. So obviously I had to take it. Um and yeah back now and it's, and it's history, you know, and fell in love with the sport of sevens. And I remember thinking back then, like, what the hell is sevens? Like, yeah, obviously, like I said, like I had just been kicked out of school and obviously sevens had been progressing into schools at that time. So I, I had no knowledge of what it was until, until that trial. And, um, I think we, when we spoke on the phone, like I was telling you about, um, having to do all those skill session and I just yeah like the whole way of the game it just oh it yeah it's easy to fall in love with sevens, trust me. Besides the the Broncos on a Monday but <laughs> everything else is is pretty awesome, eh?
0: Yeah, interesting you say that because I did hear uh, Clark Laidlaw the other day saying anyone that wants to get into sevens would have to be certifiably crazy.
1: <laughs> <'Cause it's,
0: laughs> which I yeah I look at from the outside looking and it certainly looks that way with uh how fit you guys must be Wh- what made you not want to go to that trial like what why did your nan drag you along and what was the resistance about
1: yeah I, I guess for me at the time like I was um I was a young kid going through you know down a wrong wrong path of life and getting mixed up with a lot of a lot of bad people and a lot of bad things you know and a kid from young kid like myself from a small town in Harvard, you know, we we don't dream to be rugby players. We we usually dream to be, you know, gang members or or you know, working at Fonterra or stuff like that, you know. We don't really think of us or dream big at all. So I never saw myself being a rugby player and to be honest, like, you know, I get told from coaches and friends, you know, like, oh, you should really take sports seriously, you know, like, you're talented, and like, I just, you know, the, the belief wasn't there, and I think the other thing was, um, I was scared, you know, I was scared to go out of my comfort zone, and that was harder. you know, and I was scared to have to grow up and, and do that, but, you know, looking back now, the the doors that have opened and the opportunities that have, you know, opened up doors for me. It's, it's amazing what rugby has done for me, you know, and I, I always give thanks to rugby because, you know, I always tell people without rugby, I definitely, um I definitely would have been in some bad places, you know? So yeah, it's, it's amazing what rugby can do for you.
0: Mm. And that's pretty cool. Like we were talking on the phone and, you know, that uh, go for gold or what the campaign was called, you know, like some, you know, hawa random little town and, and uh, Taranaki, but it produces and you wonder how many other kids are out there. Eh? Like how many kids are out in the back blocks of Murapara or yeah. uh, the East coast that we just don't know about and we don't get access to, and maybe don't have the opportunities. Um, so it's pretty cool to see someone come through and, and really make the most of that. And it's not, I reckon one thing that, you know, I'm sure you're aware of, it um, you hear these lovely stories and these you know great stories like yours, but I'm sure it's been hard along the way. I'm sure it hasn't all been rainbows and cupcakes and I'm sure there's been times when you've gone I've had enough I'm out, even yeah, especially at the start,
1: yeah hunter or bro. like um you know like not much people know, but like at the start of my sevens campaign, like I almost was like got the boot because I like you know like from the trial you know i got told you know i've got to go to trainings i've got to go this and like i know most people probably don't know where how is, but it's actually like an hour drive out of new plymouth so a lot of people know where new plymouth is but nobody has a clue where how is. you know like people drive through it and they're like oh it's the place with mcdonald's on the corner like that's that's how people know it you know and It's yeah, my my journey at the start, you know, like I I didn't know how to cook my own food, I didn't know how to pay my own rent and stuff like that, and I, I like I said, like you know, I almost got the boot. Um, you know, shout out to Taranaki Rugby Football Union for trying to help me grow in that space, but you know, you can only you can only take so much with one person, and I remember. You know then bringing my nan up and being like oh look we we can't do this no more you know like she's she's not turning up to training and I'm pretty sure I went on a holiday like midway through the season like didn't tell nobody just went on a holiday to Fiji with my family and like everyone's ringing me like where are you like you're supposed to be at training I'm like oh I'm I'm in Fiji like (laughs) oh like you know like I just I didn't care and yeah, like they rang Sean and they rang Bunce and they said, Look, like, we're we're gonna boot her. Like she's she just doesn't care and um thankfully Sean, you know, Sean rang my nan at the time and he just said, Look, please just chuck her on a bus and and she can move up um by me and my family and I think that was the same time that um Kelly Brazier and Portia Woodman had moved over to the mount as well. So I was pretty lucky to live with like these amazing athletes who I actually knew nothing about um which was pretty crazy you know but same thing you know like I moved over to the mount did not like I hated the whole six months of living here because I I knew no one the only thing I was like comfortable with was my family and my friend you know and I didn't know these people I didn't trust them and you know, it took me a long time to get comfortable here and truly make make the mount a home. You know, and obviously centralization happened, and there was a whole new can of worms that I had to learn about. You know, like it's just, oh, it's crazy, bro. Like honestly, like I always give thank you to Sean for for giving me that opportunity to move up here and live with him because. Yeah, I definitely would have probably been working at McDonald's or either fucking in jail or dead. Like, it was either, either, you know, like, it's crazy to think that. So. And at
0: at the time when you, oh, I guess there's two things. Did you know the path you were heading down when you were 16, 17? Or did you know even what sevens might bring?
1: Nah, like, you know, like, even when I finished that trial, like, I was like, when Sean, you know, like I said, like, Sean was talking to my nan and painting this, you know, amazing dream of going to the Olympics, and, like, I was just, like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, like, but do we get paid, though, because, like, I just, like, I just need money, like, you know, like, it sounds bad, but, like, that was really, like, my mentality back then, you know, like, I was just a kid, like, bro, like, I came from nothing, like, as long as you're giving me money, then I'll just do whatever i have to do you know so i was like it was a survival instinct you know like when i think about it now and back then nah like like oh yeah that'd be pretty cool going to the olympics do i think i'll make it probably not like i don't know you know so it's oh it's insane bro. it's insane
0: and so that as a 16 17 year old if you hadn't had that opportunity um where do you think you may may have ended up
1: Yeah, I I honestly, like, I definitely know I would have ended up in jail. Like, it's easily put out there, like, you know, like just the path that I was going down and, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure, like I was saying to you the other day, like, I'm pretty sure the last straw was um, with the union was I had got into a pretty big fight and my flatmates at the time, um, they actually had to come get me and that's how the union found out about about the massive fight that I got into and that was kind of like the last straw for them like bro like what else can we do you know but at the time like I just I didn't see it that way you know like I thought like I'm just used to this stuff so it was just it was just second nature to me you know like it was just normal so I never really saw it as like a oh it's a bad path you know like I just saw it as as life that was it
0: you know so crazy yeah and then um i guess the from from what i've seen at seven's environments bloody tough early days and forgetting all this stuff like i don't know six I probably my wife would argue i still can't cook but um 16 17 year old i don't know too many kids that'd be that versed in paying power bills and cooking and stuff but um forgetting all that outside stuff which i know is critically important as well but the training must have been bloody hard. Were you pretty fit when you went up there?
1: Hell no. I was not fit at all. Honestly, like, if that's the one thing I can't bring to the table, in all honesty, it's fitness. Like, And I low-key kind of hate it, but at the same time, <laughs> like, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? i try my best, and, like, i work my ass off, but, like, it's just, it's honestly not a strength of mine, you know? Like, and that's what I hate about it, but... Yeah, back then, like, I was, I I did not know how to work hard, I didn't know how to commit to things, like, I was literally a normal 17, 16 year old kid, like, I really just did not care about anything, so, like, testing and stuff, like, I was just, I remember being late, I remember when I, like, when I was in the Mount, when I first started living in the Mount, I was late, like, I woke up late, and we had bronco testing, and I remember, And I was kind of, like, happy that I was late because I didn't have to do it. But then at the same time, I was kind of like, oh, I feel bad because all my teammates are dying. And then I kind of, like, am just standing there with my boots doing nothing, you know? And it's just like, yeah, the training back then was like, oh, my God. Like, we pretty much got treated like we were Portia Woodman. But we're not Portia Woodman. I don't. I don't think I'll ever get the like the calf size and the shoulder size of Portia Woodman, but I'll definitely try my luck at my footwork with her. You know, like yeah. it's just. So I, I'm pretty grateful for you know our amazing SNC coach, um, Brad Anderson. He's, he's definitely he's an amazing man that fella and got a big heart. So shout out to Brad.
0: Nice, and and Corey. I guess when you came in, uh, Gail was already well probably three two or three years into the environment. When you come into a place like that, do you get a briefing on players or do you do a lot of that research yourself? And, and I guess the critical bit I'd love to know is what did you notice about Gail? <laughs> and remember, she can hear you.
2: Yeah, yeah I think. You know, I, I was lucky enough to spend a year uh, as a skills coach prior to coming into the, into the actual team as an assistant coach. Um, so Gail, spent I spent a bit of time with Gail in the in the region, preparing her for for tournaments. I was I was really unfortunate; I never got to go to the tournaments, but I, I was able to work with both the men and the woman and their lead up. So I um I, I think the key thing, and that's the same as any coaching thing, is you, you just got to know your athletes and find take time to understand them. And it's really cool listening, just sitting back and listening to Gail because she underplays herself a lot. Um, you know, not to say that. You know, her past was in the past, um, but yeah, there's a lot to Gail, and you know, it's a real proud moment when you can watch her evolve and grow and develop into somebody that played the final at the Olympics without taking her off. Mm. So she took her conditioning, and uh, and I know that for her, it's probably one of the hardest parts of the game. Um, but you know, the adrenaline takes over, and the, the connection to each other, the connection to our our team and our vision and drives a performance that is the best performance I've ever seen her do, you know, and that's, that's an amazing achievement, Um, not only for Gail, but, you know, for a program to to take um, 21 athletes and and 16 management, whatever we are, and, um, and really understand each and every one of them and understand that we are unique and different and we've got a dark side and um and we all have that, but it's about embracing that and, and finding a way to um to work with each and every one of those uniquenesses to put a performance together. And um you know I'm like I'm really proud of Gail. I think it's a it's an amazing story, and and it certainly is not done. Her her story will continue for a long time yet. And yeah, the inspiration that she has, or the inspiring you know the sixteen or seventeen year olds that are like Gail. And how we do or wherever they are in New Zealand, I think is a real powerful thing.
0: How do you reach those, you know, how do you get, I, I guess it's a million dollar question, isn't it? But wouldn't it be cool to get access to those 16, 17 year olds? Cause you know, it's bloody tough ages. It is um, depending on where you are in the world and what's happening in your world. But it'd be cool to be able to reach more of those people. I reckon. And as you say, share Gail's story that I guess that you must be incredibly proud of yourself. Gail of what you've achieved so far like Corey said there's still time you're 25 you said you feel old but oh <laughs> you wait um so that must be pretty cool mate for you
1: yeah super cool um yeah, yeah like I- I'm sure like you know there's a lot of kids out there like me that are going through um I guess pathways that are leading them into pretty pretty dark spaces you know and that's that's all I want to do eh, is just show them that it's it's possible and you know there's people that um you know this sport in general has a lot of amazing people that um like you talk about you know like the culture and the the familyness of this team is just like i like when I say I would die for one of these people i I really mean that eh? and like that's not even in a joking way, like that's like true. Like I would if I got put on the line right now to go do anything and it was for this team, like that's that's the sacrifice I would make and you you know, you see that, a lot of people on the outside see that, but that's just us every day, you know, like and that's the culture that Koro and, and Bunce have built of this team is just that that togetherness, you know, and it's it's amazing to be a part of
0: yeah nice hey on that note uh we've had a question come in we have a few questions come in and uh we've had one from Alison McLean I did see yours Carl but I'll come to yours uh, in a minute but Alison McLean said when did you when did you feel a sense of belonging was there a specific moment for you
1: that was like that is a great question um I guess for me like like no disrespect to you know um the the first 20 olympic campaign and and stuff like that you know like no disrespect to them they know all they all know that i love them and everything but i honestly like don't think i felt like i belonged here until vance and Corey really took over like and that's that's honestly on the truth um just the the family that they built in this team, you know, and p- people that you can really trust from from the management to the leadership to, you know, the non-leadership players, you know, like we really, and that took some time, you know, and I, I don't think I truly felt like I belonged here until after that first Olympic campaign, you know, I really had people that I could really talk to and, and not feel like I was judged or you know, and people understood me for what I had gone through and, and everything. So, yeah, it took a while. But uh, I think it was, it was probably, probably 2018, 2017, 2018, definitely somewhere around that time that I, I really started to feel like, okay, I can be who I want to be in this team.
0: So um, what did, and you you reference Corey as cordial. Um <laughs> I've picked that up. Um, so what did they, what did him and him and Ellen, what did they, what did they do differently? How did they allow you to be you? Was that a, um, and Corey, I'll ask you the same question, but I'll need Gail's answer first.
1: Yeah, I guess besides them being um, yin and yang, um, literally one's black, one's white. <laughs> <laughs> They, I, I guess it was just, um, obviously Bunce is a very, and, and Koro knows this, Bunce is a very, um, he's a man that will walk the walk and talk the talk. So, like, we'll have team meetings and that man will get up and bloody sing absolutely terribly, off note, no key, but <laughs> the fact that he will live there every day to show you that, you know, you can not know how to sing but to be courageous in that space and do it anyway and and the same thing was with koro you know and like they just I, it's like I don't know the words but they just they really did talk the talk and walk their walk you know and they lived there every day and they showed that and I think to me from as a player perspective like me seeing all these people that I love be themselves that's what made me want to be myself and really embrace that you know and we all embraced that because we all knew everyone was different like i'm not gonna squat the same as shakira baker i'm not gonna run as fast as Niall williams (laughs) but you know i'm gonna do i have my own strengths and i have my own weaknesses and i think that's that's the difference that they brought to the table you know they weren't trying to make one particular person like everybody else, they accepted everyone for for who they were. And I think the biggest thing was those courageous conversations, you know, like I think that's the biggest struggle in teams, these is is having those conversations with each other, you know, not not having that back noise and kind of the Chinese whispers, it's sitting down and being like, bro, I love you. But you're being an egg, you know those type of conversations. So that's that's honestly the difference that they've brought to this team. And um, yeah, like I said, it's it's amazing to be a part of.
0: Yeah, nice. And and Corey, was that a conscious thing when when Alan got you in to be part of the team? Was that critically? This is we need to change and, and make this a high priority. And and then if so, how did you go about that?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you know. Uh, Bunce and the, and the players had lots of learnings out of Rio uh, and, you know, a lot of those learnings were, were captured in a really, really awesome way and, um, and there was a, a, an amazing plan put together, um, mainly from Bunce, where he had a really powerful vision and the vision was really around connection of people and, um, and I know that, you know, it's... Being pretty widely talked about as leaving mana in our wake and a really simple really simple theme but something that we all connected to um and it was all an individual thing you know mana has a has a really individual meaning for everybody and and so we we sort of start trying to understand that individually is what what is mana what what does that mean for us and then what does that look like um, and we then started living some of that, and we we spent a lot of time looking at ourselves around who are we, you know, what is mana, who is our identity, and how do we act in certain situations? Because I guess if you get that really self leadership stuff um, first, it, it allows team leadership and team growth and connection of people. But it was certainly a, something that that we talked a lot about at the start, and I still remember one of the first first times I come into the environment um, Bunt said that his vision for for us as coaches was when we get to the Olympics and it was four years at that time but the Olympics in five years uh, we want to watch the final in the stands and just enjoy enjoy the uh, the performance and I quite often thought about what is that what did that mean and um, and one of it was about us doing everything that we can to then set these amazing, people and rugby players free under the spotlight of the Olympic games and enjoy the moment. And that moment was their moment. And it was the moment that they needed to take control of. But in order to do that, we needed to understand self and we need to understand pressure and we needed to have a connection and a trust and a belief in each other. Um, And, and while I think we probably could have done that in in Tokyo for the France game, our own coach anxiety (laughs) and we kept telling ourselves, no, they need us. We need to be on the sideline. They definitely need us. We need to be there. Um, but they, they didn't. You know, they they controlled the moments. They trusted in each other. They made decisions in the moment that we can't make for them. Um, and it was really, you know, and I know we had ups and downs through that tournament, um, but that's, that's sevens. Mm.
0: It's
2: a game of ultimate consequence. And... Um, and that, you know, we, we won the moments that we needed to win in the end. And it was an amazing, uh, it was amazing to watch those under extreme pressure of an Olympic Games, which is like no other tournament in the world. So, you know, really credit to Bunce and the vision that he put together five years ago. Um, and then we just evolved that and, and grew and lived it on a daily basis. So we got it wrong, 100%. Man, we got it wrong along the way. Um, but the biggest thing was that we cared for each other so we looked after each other first. We understood what they needed, and our biggest gift that we could give to anybody that was in a place of um, not, you know, not where they needed to be was to make sure that the program was still moving and and growing and evolving into something that it was going to be really difficult for them to come back into, because that was our gift to them. Because then that drove motivation and competitiveness and performance ultimately, and and we've all. Stepped out of the program at some point in those five years and found it bloody hard to come back in. But that's why we worked so hard because it was just what we did for each other. And, and it seems a bit weird, probably, but we all knew that the vision was to leave Mana, and that's what we did on a daily basis. And it drove us to where we got to, I guess.
0: Nice that uh, listening to you guys talk then gave me goosebumps. Um, <laughs>
1: mana man that's mana yeah
0: well actually on that note um christian penny who i I know you know Corey, he said last week that i've got three listeners three international listeners and for those people how would you describe and this is throwing under the bus i think you know what i'm going to say here how would you describe or translate mana yeah do
2: you want to go g or do you want me to go
1: no you go you go
2: I always think and I always think about what is what would I think of as mana. Um, who who is who in my life has demonstrated mana. And so for me I think about my grandmother. So my grandmother had uh, had five kids, her husband died early and she brought five kids up by herself, never had a license. Uh so had to push bikes or scooter and grow their own food and do all their washing and um, and never once You know, grizzle or moaned or whatever, and she, she raised five amazing um, kids. One of those being my mother. Um, But when I think about, you know, what were the attributes that she possessed in order for her to do that? You know, the the resilience, the the hard work, um, the the connection of people, and selflessness. All those things that you could name but it's, it's a feeling that you get from somebody that's given that. That's mm. how, I, how I define mana. And, you know, you could ask, you could ask um, 25 people in our environment and they would probably all describe it differently. But knowing that that's what it means to me is how I then behave and act when I'm in groups around people or, or with my family. So, I mean, that's how I would best, best describe that.
0: That's really cool. Um, Clayton McMillan, a few weeks ago, he said um, basically that you get mana bestowed upon you, like you can't sort of say you've got mana, but someone else can say that you've got mana. But I thought that was really cool as well. Um, In the, I'd love to talk a little bit about, oh, actually, before I do that, I'll, I'd better ask Carl's question. Uh, He said, Corey, can you talk about how you approach or deal with the dark side with the team before you referenced, you know, everybody's got a dark side or a shadow. How do you approach that? Yeah, well,
2: sometimes I don't approach it. It comes at you. (laughs) I guess the biggest thing is about acknowledging that, and that's okay. Um, You know, so understanding your players and understanding that there will be moments along the way where that dark side will will pop up from time to time and i think the biggest the biggest problem is that maybe people or coaches have is when that pops up you try to cut it down you try to stop it and put it in a box and and i don't think that's possible it's about understanding what that is and working with the strategies around that to to make those work and sometimes the environment may not be the right environment for somebody that may not have you know have that in control or or need some additional support around that. And so the environment we live in is cutthroat and we talk about being on the, on the edge of the cliff a lot of the time. And so, you know, we've got to have a really nice balance around, you know, when are we pushing, when are we pulling it back? When does that player need to be pushed or can be pushed? And when do they not? And I think having that understanding is important, but mm-hmm. the downside is the u- uniqueness in the, in the pressure moment that I, that I love because it, it kicks in. That's their real ultra competitiveness that you you can't take away from somebody. You I know, and I give an example. I remember going onto the field on several occasions with Gail, and um, and I go on to her, and you know, Gail talks about her conditioning. Well, you know, it can at times um, you might get it in the concrete mixer. We need to check in on Gail and say, Gail, you're all right. And when she's in a big moment. I can't remember the game, but there was a big moment, pressure moment. I go up to Gail and I'm saying, "Kelly, you're right. And she's looking at me and I know she's not because everything in her face is telling me, uh, <laughs> to get off, you know, help. this call almost. And she looks at me and just tells me to F off. You know, <laughs> and, but, you know, I reckon that's, that's, that, that's that little bit that people have got. And sometimes, you know, it comes out in different ways, but it's that moment where you've got to really embrace and you go, Man, I love that, and uh, while you kind of get a little little bit of an insult as you run off with your water bottle going yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I think that's when the you know the dark moment or the the dark side comes out in people in a good way and and um, if you don't embrace that, I think you'll never get that. you'll get people that walk off and don't kind of face the tough moments and the pressure.
0: and what about uh, Gail from your point of view like the environment you know. You look at a lot of centralized um, programs, and there's, you know, there's a lot of negativity around them. It's they don't always work, but I feel like you guys or you girls have bucked the trend a bit there, mm. and you've actually got this environment. Like I loved, uh, you know, I loved the Olympics. Uh, I was saying to Corey, I can't remember what game it was, but I was at the um, Bay of Plenty playing Waikato women's game at Blake Park on your bloody training ground, actually. But I had my phone and I was watching your. I think it was your semifinal, but you know, watching the final, trying to keep an eye on the game. And everybody talks about the sisters and the love. And, you know, you said before how much you love that environment and you love everybody in that team. From the outside, that sounds lovely and beautiful. Are there moments where there is just, you know, some tension and some issues, or is it all rainbows and cupcakes? And in those moments, if there is those moments, what do you do?
1: Oh. Bro, we're we're women, and you know, like women can be the most dramatic people. I swear to God, honestly. But like Coral said, you know, like we're we're not perfect, and you know, we we have failed a lot of times with this whole centralization thing, you know. But um, like I said, we're we're so grateful to have the people and the management um that we have because we have just been paddling our walkers through all these waves, and we've sometimes fell out, sometimes had to drag some people back in, but we've always kind of, you know, come to a solution and yeah, at the start it, it wasn't pretty, you know, like it definitely wasn't a place that you wanted to be every day and definitely not around people that you wanted to be around you know, and yeah it, it was it was ugly at the start but I think over time we, we evolved you know, our culture and our team environment and super grateful to have people that i i like being around sometimes (laughs) sometimes (laughs) um but nah yeah it's it's definitely evolved and it definitely has you know hasn't always been pretty but i think that's just the amazing thing about our team is that we we strive to be better people every day and and push each other in in a great way so yeah pretty lucky nice And,
0: and then i guess Corey is that uh What's your take on that? Because, again, I assume it's not all rainbows and cupcakes, especially from a coaching point of view. There's often tough conversations that you've got to have. You know, you might have to tell someone they're not selected or not going to the Olympics and they've given their heart and soul to something. How hard is that in such a tight team? Yeah, it's
2: the hardest part of the job. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, we it's funny because we talk about trust and belief and respect in each other and and then as a coach you've got to sit down and break their heart. Because they uh, yeah. and um, and those are those are really tough moments, and I think there's a couple of things that that Bunce and I have been really really big on and and one is making sure that, that we have a voice, everybody has a voice, and there's multiple ways of that voice being expressed so whether that be in a feedback sheet after a tournament or through leadership uh, meetings or players to leaders um, or even to players to coaches you know so we we try and build up that trust so that there is the ability to have a, a courageous conversation I know that's a real buzzword um but but it's actually just a conversation that you need to have and being courageous to have that conversation whatever that that is and I think the important thing is that we we need to be good listeners and If And we're not good listeners they will never they'll never come back and voice that and and we have we have a number of different layers on where and how we can communicate that but I think the other thing is we, you know, we're really big on, on listening to our leadership and listening to our players, so we know that there's tough conversations that have to be had, whether it be selection or, or injury or whatever it is, and we want the players to be part of how we do that. So from a selection perspective, we'll sit down with, with the leaders and ask them how do you want a 13th and 14th player to be selected and how do you want that process to look? How do you need, want the Olympic selection to look um, and get the feedback from the players so that they know what's coming, they're really aware of what's coming and then the honest conversations, um, while they hurt, um, I think they're taken so much better than what they could be if if there wasn't the opportunity to be part of that process. And I think everything that we do, it's about taking our playing group with us, taking our leadership group with us. And sometimes the players lead us and um, you know, that's actually a, a bloody good model. You know, we want our players being leaders. We want our leaders, you know, even leading us sometimes. And we all have roles and responsibilities, but, but there shouldn't be a hierarchy within that. You know, we're all in it for the same reason. And so we, our intentions are pure and our intentions are to connect to our vision. Um, but we're all part of those decisions. So um, certainly doesn't take away from the tears and both sides. You know, coaches tearing up when we're giving those messages because they're bloody tough.
0: mm and, and Gail, how's your role changed from the, um, the 16-year-old, 17-year-old <laughs> who didn't show up to training to now a 25-year-old and one of the you know senior players in the team? How's that changed for you?
1: Bro, honestly, like, it's so funny. Like, I think about it back then, you know, like, not wanting to go to training at all to now being, like, I swear like an hour early for training every time like (laughs) it's so funny when I think about it you know like making sure my body's you know in good shape and making sure I'm taking care of it you know stretching going to the beach every morning to go do colds like it's it's crazy you know like thinking about it that way but yeah I'm definitely like I, I don't like to see myself as like a leader like you know, like, I don't like to see myself as that person, I just, I don't know, like, I, obviously, my role is, as a person in the team has evolved, and I just, I love listening, you know, like, I, I don't really like saying much with, like, Sarah Goss, and, you know, oh, sorry, Sarah Hadini, I always want to get her name wrong, you know, with the likes of Ruby Tui, like, no, nah, William's like, we're so bloody lucky to have the leadership that we have in our team and and the leaders that we have. And, yeah, I, I still feel like a 17-year-old kid in in this <laughs> team, you know, but I just, I turn up to training on time now. That's probably the, the, the <laughs> well,
0: um, You know, when, like Corey talked before, and I know uh, Kyle McLean mentioned this in one of his chats the other day, that the coaches will leave you guys um, to the huddles at halftime. Um, how hard was that at first? Was there a little bit of looking over your shoulder coming, saying, come on, boys, come and give us a hand? Or were you guys, "Now we've got this? And, it's, and was that what you'd love to see moving forward as well?
1: Yeah, like, uh, honestly, like, we've always loved just hearing Gossie or Kelly and that just, like, talk at halftime, you know, like, that's just so them. And I know, like, you see, like, a lot of people in other teams, they're always, their coaches are talking and everyone's listening. But, yeah, like, like what I said, like, we're, we're a very self-led team and we're lucky to have the leadership that we do have and just... Oh yeah, most of the time you hear "koro," you know, on the sideline or bunts yelling "kitty kitty." Anyway, so it's they're still there, but they're just not in the huddle. So that's about it.
0: (laughs) And that must be hard, Corey, as a coach, not to go in there and rescue them. Yeah,
2: we've we've been tempted. Yeah, (laughs) I think I think in the five years we might have gone into a huddle once in five years. Wow, Um, and. And that's definitely been a big thing that Bunce brought in. You know, he was all, all we all talked about a self or player-led environment and, and leaders leading and in the moment, the real pressure moments, how much are they taking in from a coach and how much do they actually just need to take control of the situation and find a way. Um, and, and we try to prepare our tournaments that way. So in our lead-ups to tournaments, you know, we are pretty coach-heavy if we've got a five-week leader and we're pretty coach-heavy for the first two weeks, and then we slowly start backing out to the point where we get in our tournament week and and coaches basically get up and set the cones up and uh, and, and then we pull back. And, and we really encourage our leaders to lead and connect with each other and find a way um, to, to do what they need to do. And I think the more times you step in into that environment, the the more hesitant our leaders become around leading, so you kind of got to make a call one way or the other. And if we haven't got it right in the lead-in or in our previews before we go into a game, you know we've we've probably got it wrong. Um, yeah, haven't you know we don't have the trust in our leadership to get it right. So you know we always we look at videotaping that at times so that we can you know we get some learnings around the messages that our leaders are are giving and. Like Gail says, we sometimes, as coaches, get told off because we're we're screaming from the sideline too much. Or, um, or I'll run on with water, and I might say a couple of comments, and you always wonder how much is going in, and you know. So, um, but but it's it's certainly something that I I keep thinking that that's really important going forward in this group. And if you know, if there's a change of playing group and that sort of thing, it's actually about making sure that they get those opportunities um, to communicate in those real tough times because. You know, we we can't help them in that in that moment where it's uh seventeen all in a semi-final and it goes to extra time, you know. Yeah. At me, um at the end of that that normal time, Corey, I just need clear comms. Is it golden point or is it time? And I was like, Oh shit, I don't know. i will better <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Um that's all she needed she just needed that in that moment and I eventually I got there and you know they they took control of the moment and that's what I loved about that yeah uh, it was almost like that five years of building
0: up for that one moment and they they nailed it they nailed it all right um, Gail in that moment uh, you know it's such a fast paced game and it's helter skelter and like Corey said earlier on, half a mistake can cost you that five years um, how, how much do you feel the pressure, like, in that, in that final match? Are you feeling the pressure, or are you just so busy doing your job?
1: Yeah, I guess, like, the coolest thing about our team, you know, like, we always have this conversation around pressure, and, and like we talked about with Mana, it's the same thing, you know, like, people see pressure differently in our team, you know, like, pressure... And and Stu Ross makes a good point of this is we call it um, what's what's the word? Koro? You know what I'm talking about.
2: Kind of nodding too.
1: Pressure, pressure. What does Stu always say about pressure? Um, oh God. Privilege. Oh. No. What did you say? Privilege. Privilege. That's the word. Privilege pressure. So us, um, a lot of people in our team, like we, you, we see it as privilege, you know, privilege to be able to have the opportunity to stand on a field and take it into extra time against an amazing team and do what we did. That's, that's, that's a privilege, you know, and I guess to me, pressure has never really been on a rugby field. I guess pressure to me has always been, you know, my mum my not being able to pay her rent or the pressure of, you know, my grandparents not being able to pay for something or, you know, how where are we going to live? Or, you know, like to me, that has always been pressure. The rugby field has has always been my escape from everything, you know, especially off the field. So, I don't think I ever felt pressure in that. Well, to be honest, I I was terrified. (laughs) I I wasn't under pressure, but I was definitely terrified. I I remember vividly um, figuring it out. I was going into extra time against Fiji, and I remember remember Alan Bunting looking at me like, I'm going to put you on, and I remember looking at him like, please do not put me on. Like, I am like, I am not here right now, like, I cannot do this, like, I just, I couldn't do it, and I remember Portia looking at him, like, bro, put me on, like, I'm ready, and the funniest thing, he looks at Portia, he looks at me, and he goes to Tony, our manager, and he goes, okay, Woody, you're going on, which is me, and I just remember looking at him, like, I just told you, I don't want to go on, like, I can't do it, and he's like, it's okay, okay, doesn't matter just just go out there and do your thing and I just you know I remember that whole like the kickoff Stacey getting it like as soon as I knew Stace it was going to a five and I was getting kicked to Stace it just took me back to every moment at training that we did in Townsville the preparation for that whole five years and I just remember thinking like Fiji has not caught a kickoff from us this whole time they're about to go up against one of the best strike props in the world Stacy Flula like if I had to put a hundred bucks on her to get a kickoff I would probably chuck down 150 just that's how confident I would be with that you know and I just knew like there's time on the clock and Stacy's gonna get the kick and we just like we've done this at training a million and one times, like this is poetry in motion, you know. And then as closer we got to the line, the fatigue started to kick in. And then oh, I, I I honestly can't remember the moment. I just remember there being no post, and I just remember like, wow, there's there's no post. Like where where's the post? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick and go. Okay, <laughs> so I'm just like running to the line and I'm like okay no one's chasing me what's going on and then I remember the Fijian girl coming from my left and I don't know what kicked into me like I just remember like something hit my head and was like spin spin girl spin just spin out of it and then I just remember spinning (laughs) slamming the ball down and I don't know what in my right mind made me thought, okay, we've got to go back to the line, kick off again, and then start again. Like, I was just, I was in that mentality that, wow, my coaches really had that much belief in me that they were like, I know you're scared, but I know you can do this. So that gave me the belief to be like, okay, sweet, I can do this, I can do this. So yeah, that was, oh, that that was a crazy time. And like, me and my partner were out to dinner the other day and we were watching it at um, Lone Star. It was on the TV, the semi. And I just, just remember like getting goosebumps all over again watching that moment. I was just like, wow, it was crazy. Yeah.
0: That must be surreal watching it back. And Corey, that was cool. I was watching you during that. You are smiling ear to ear listening to Gail talk about that. And I think hearing someone under the most pressure saying that's poetry in motion, far out. should see me under pressure. It's not poetry in motion. Um <laughs> Got a question here, um, again, I'll go to Allison's first. Allison said, uh, for you, I believe Gail, do you think you have found peace with yourself, the game and life through the experience of the game?
1: Oh, great question. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Have I found peace with myself? Um, yeah. I I would say so, I, I still feel like I have so much learning, growing and evolving to do and like I remember being 16 and thinking 25 was like ancient old <laughs> but now that I'm 25 I'm like wow like this is like this is just the start you know like I can take these things to a whole nother level so yeah I definitely have found peace and I guess for me like Learning to um, grow and understand myself um, is evolving, and I, I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely feel some sort of peace with myself, you know. But just want to keep learning and growing, like I said.
0: Nice, I loved it uh, the other day. Where that's exactly what you said. You said, "Man, I just love learning, and I just love growing." And um, I think any coach, Corey, would be chuffed to hear that. Hey, eh? that's what you want to hear from your players. Um, Andrew Wright's got a question here, Corey. What about your role keeps you coming back?
2: Yeah, and I've I've actually I've thought a little bit about that just just recently. Um, obviously with the Olympics, and you know, we've had a, a really successful five years. Um, but I think certainly with this with this team, this you know I think I probably didn't realise how attached and passionate I am about this team and how much I love this group of people because. They're a special group, and people always ask me about coaching men and coaching females and the difference, and, and my answer's always the same, and, and it's about coaching a group of people. And this this group, are, they're much bigger than, than rugby players, rugby sevens players. There's so much more to them than, than that, and, and that's probably the connection because one of my biggest things as a coach I keep thinking about is my ability to inspire aspirational achievement and whether that's be on the rugby field or not, and so I've got this craving to take this group and play a role in growing them to be as much or as what they want, as big as they could dream, and um, and that's that's really my my craving. Is and you know I look at Lisa Carrington. I think after her first Olympics, you know she could have quite easily retired and, and won her golds and, and walked away from the sport. But she didn't, and she carried on and she was into her fourth Olympics, I think, or what you know and and she's you know, how many gold medals are hanging on her wall? What an amazing achievement! Nobody's going to forget Lisa Carrington in a lifetime um what a what a special special woman sports person and um and she deserves everything that she's got Well, I don't think anything differently about this group that I'm working with at the moment and how special that they could be as athletes, as rugby players, as women, as people. Um, and that, you know, is, is really my driving force for this role and this, this group of people. And I think, I even think about Gail and, you know, you have heard really nice things tonight about her her rugby and, and where she's come from. and You know, but people don't know that she's also a PT trainer. So she went to uni um, and did that, you know, even when I talk about it, man, it gets me really emotional. Um, but also... She's a DJ and an amazing DJ and fire out. Um, if you give me your name, gee, I could probably share it on there. <laughs> but, but it's about you know, it's about that balance around man, special rugby player, special person. But there's more to everybody in this group than than just that, and we can inspire. Uh, on so many levels. And, and so that's my craving. You know, I love coaching and I love working with people, but this is a special group and a special team. And and I want to do my part in, in, um, in eternalizing a legacy that will live on for generations.
0: Mm. That must be pretty special though, for the new, the new young players coming in to see that, I guess, maybe different to what you saw, Gail, when you first came in, but uh, the young players now coming in must go, well, I mean, listening, I want to be part of it. I think Corey, you've heard me talk enough to know that I don't like contact. so I'd be shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's why I chose golf. Um, but that must be cool, Gail, to know that you know you've shaped a really, really powerful environment for for young women coming in and and possibly people like yourself moving forward.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like like I always say, like it's such an amazing team, well, family to be a part of, and, um, you know, like, to see the growth of, you know, young girls at high school, or even, God, like, um, Renee Wycliffe and Portia Woodman, you know, they they take a young girls rugby team here in the mountains, and even a lot of those girls, you know, a lot of them growing up to want to be like us, you know, like, that's the, that's the ultimate dream, you know, and that's the ultimate success story, so, Yeah, amazing to be
0: a part of. That's cool. Hey, a couple of comments just to finish off. Elliot Farno, much respect in Aroha. Uh, Carl shared in a while ago, Corey said thanks for that answer. That was very helpful for him. Uh, And then just before we head off, there's been a couple of comments. Alison McLean, nice team. Thanks, well played. Thanks for sharing. Carl, great chat. And Andrew Wright, damn Corey, that was an amazing answer. Um, Finton Kennedy, who's one of our overseas listeners, one of the three Finton from Ireland. Uh, what a great way to finish, Corey. So genuine. Um, I just got to the end, because I forgot to change. He forgot to change his clock to New Zealand time. Um, and Mark Webb, inspire, aspirational, achievement. What a great motivation. Thank you for the memories so far and the future. It awaits us fans. So thank you so much, team. Uh, really appreciate your time tonight, and uh, and all the best uh, moving forward. Thanks for sharing.
2: Awesome, thanks, Jay. Thank
1: you, thank you, Jay. Appreciate it.